All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers post-game show that will be also airing on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. Raj is still partying. God knows where he is. Barely heard from him, although I did hear from him enough to say that he could not make it tonight. So what I'd like to do is only go for about, you know, 15 minutes or so on just my quick takeaways from the game. And then I'd like to get as much of you guys up here as possible um, to get lots of comments and questions, opportunities for you guys to vent. This game, ironically, went kind of exactly as I expected it to um, because I, I have a lot of respect for Memphis and how good they are and how good John Morant is. And John Morant in particular attacks a specific weakness of the Lakers. So it was inevitable that at certain stretches of the game, uh, they would struggle. Lakers played with good urgency, but I thought they were undercut by their starting lineup quite a bit. Um, I think this is a game that if the Lakers play small through and through, they probably win by 15, even with their defensive shortcomings. Um, And we're going to get to that. But uh, this was kind of the type of game that you could expect. The Lakers weren't just going to flip a switch and start kicking people's asses because that's not how you fix bad basketball. It takes weeks of trying to uh, ditch bad habits and replace them with good habits and so on and so forth. And so this is a good step in that direction. And there's going to be a slightly less tough game, in my opinion, going down to San, uh, San Antonio. And then the Lakers are going to head into four straight, relatively easy ones. So this is, this was the one they had to get that they had to get to get things started off on the right foot. Um, like I said, guys, I'm only going to talk for about 15 minutes and then I'm gonna get callers up. So get your requests in now and stick at, stick around and we're going to get as many uh, of you guys up here as we can tonight. Um, the main thing that I wanted to talk about to start was the interesting stuff in closing time there, because this is our first real crunch time opportunity to watch the Lakers this season, considering how bad the things went off the rails against Golden State. And I thought it was interesting that they went with Melo as that fifth guy next to Bazemore, LeBron, Russ, and AD. This is the guy that I actually specifically suggested as the best fifth option in there. The reason being is that when he's with that group, his defensive responsibilities become so small that he can actually succeed in them. You don't need him to hold his own in a wide open space. You need him to hold his own alongside a bunch of really good defensive athletes that are going to make his job easier. And ironically, he made one of the biggest plays of the game, which was his uh, uh, steal on John Morant, I think it was, as he was coming down the lane on the play that ended up ended up getting reviewed. And he just brings a ton of really good space for the rest of the lineup because of his ability to shoot. Um, you know, I thought it was one of the best plays of the game for Mello was a play where he was posting up Ryan Anderson, realized he didn't have a size advantage, kicked it back out to LeBron, and they ran a pick and roll with Anthony Davis and got a really good shot out of it. If you notice tonight, Mello's shots were all in the flow of the offense, except for that last one that he took in crunch time, that little fadeaway. But for the most part, everything was easy and, and coming off of the tension gained from the stars. And he was kind of playing like a role player, an overqualified role player, which when he plays like that, he's going to have success uh, with this group. So I didn't think that that was a coincidence at all. Um, let's talk about the starters. Cause I'm sure that's what a lot of you guys are thinking about, you know, how annoying it is to watch this basketball team play with Deandre Jordan. And again, to kind of frame this when Deandre Jordan was signed, I really liked him as a depth signing that would specifically play when Dwight or AD had to rest for whatever reason. Why? Because Frank has a defensive scheme. 
And while his defensive scheme had to change and be moved around a lot last year because of the different types of centers that he had this year, he's got three of the same types of vertical, you know, uh, rim protecting types of centers. And so it's nice when Deandre Jordan can slot in for Dwight Howard because he's, you know, hurt or serving a one game suspension for being Dwight Howard or whatever it is. Or if Anthony Davis has to take a night off, you can rotate Deandre Jordan in there and play the same defensive scheme. I liked that. I did not like him as someone who would just play with the, with the, the healthy Lakers in their starting lineup, rain or shine for no particular reason at all. And the reason why is he just clogs up the space and he doesn't impact the game enough where the trade-off is, is beneficial. You know, like Dwight does so much on the floor as a got like a ball of energy, especially two years ago that, it, you know, even whatever you lost in spacing with Dwight, you got at least something back in return because Dwight is legitimately a very good backup center in this league, which DeAndre Jordan at this phase of his career just isn't. And in the first two games, when DeAndre Jordan played center, LeBron and AD were making jump shots. And so as a result, they were plus six when DeAndre Jordan was on the floor, because even though they were forced to take a bunch of jump shots by the lack of space to operate, they were still able to make them, which kind of hid and masked, some of the issues with that lineup. Now, tonight, LeBron got off to a poor shooting start, although he did make some big threes late in the game. Got off to a poor shooting start. Anthony Davis wasn't making his jump shots. All of a sudden, that lineup can't score. And that's just what's going to happen when you put that specific group out there because it plays right into the defensive scheme that every opponent they're going to play this year is going to put out there, which is we're just going to pack the paint. We're going to play way off of Russ. We're going to play way off of DeAndre Jordan. We're just going to sit in there and make you guys take jump shots and it's going to work. Uh, and it did tonight. And that, like I said, if it wasn't for that specific lineup, I think the Lakers end up winning this game by like 15. That's how well they play. Um, what was interesting there during the beginning of the game, when the offense was all clunky was how well Russell Westbrook played. Thought it was really interesting that most of the, the shots that he took were either at the beginning of the game, he was getting into the paint he took one three on a swing pass that I thought was a little quick, but he didn't have the crazy, you know, nonsensical transition pull-up shots that have almost no chance of going in and just kind of feel like wasted possessions. Those were gone. And then you got to see for the first time this season, one of Russell Westbrook's elite skills come to the table and start generating, you know, positives for the Lakers. And that was his passing, you know, with the starters, you saw it looking to the rim to the bigs whenever Memphis would kind of cheat up into the, to the middle of the paint to try to help elsewhere. He found DeAndre Jordan and Anthony Davis in the lane for dunks. And then as the game progressed, when they got into open space, he did more of what he did with Washington, which is kick to open three point shooters. And he had 11 assists in like the first, it was two and a half quarters. He had 11 assists, which is awesome. That's, that's the kind of thing that Russ can bring to the table. That's going to be really good. I also really liked, what he did in crunch time when they started helping off of him a ton. He was setting ball screens for LeBron getting into that short roll position. There were a couple plays there that kind of reminded me of the Bosch Wade LeBron pairing where they'd have Wade come set the screen for LeBron Wade would short roll and drop it off to Bosch for a dunk or for a shot. They had some sequences like that there in the fourth quarter, including one where AD was spotting up the three point line and cut and, and Russ kind of, try to do a little shovel pass to him. It just got fumbled, but that could have ended in a dunk too. That there was just, the Lakers did a good job in crunch time. I thought of taking 
you know, Memphis's attempts to counter Russ, you know, by overhelping and kind of using it against them by keeping Russ involved in the play as a screener. Again, guys, get your requests in. I'm going to take, uh, I'm only going to go for about five more minutes and then I'm going to get you guys up here to talk and we're going to go probably for another half hour or so. Um, cause Roz isn't here tonight. So I don't want to just talk the whole time. Let me look at my notes really quick. Make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, Austin Reeves. So Austin Reeves, I, I tweeted yesterday is going to be the plus minus hero of this team. Kind of like Alex Crusoe was now Alex Crusoe and Austin Reeves could not be more different other than the fact that they're six, five white guys. They're they, the way they impact the game is so much different. Uh, so different from each other. However, what they do do extremely well. And the reason why uh, they kind of have a similar vibe with this team is they're just textbook glue guys as the fifth guy in any lineup. I always talk about overqualified roles, like with Melo, right? Like Melo succeeded tonight because he was getting extremely easy opportunities that honestly he's a little overqualified for. So when you have a guy as talented as Melo, he's going to just literally light on fire and just burn the house down the way he did today as a shooter, because he's overqualified for that a little bit. Well, what you're, what you're asking for, for guys playing off of LeBron AD and Russell Westbrook is to knock down open shots, occasionally do something to attack a closeout if they do get chased off the line, which Melo did make a couple of one dribble pull-ups into that like 17, 18 foot mark today when guys did chase him off the line or he'd pump fake and sidestep and, and knock something down. But you all you need from that position is just hold down your defensive responsibilities, knock down an open three, occasionally attack a closeout. And Austin Reeves is perfectly qualified for that specific responsibility. And because he's young and enthusiastic and because he plays with desperation, because he doesn't feel like he's really earned his spot in the league yet, these guys, you know, in the dregs of the regular season, bring immense value because not only can they fulfill the responsibilities that you need them to to fulfill, but they have great motivation. Alex Caruso was like that for the Lakers. He was different. Like he was a had the ball in his hands a lot more. The Lakers actually used him as a pick and roll ball handler a lot last year. And I would say Alex is probably more of a, you know, a point of attack type of defender. Austin does okay at the point of attack, but his strengths are more off ball thriving in the chaos, being able to chase shooters, being able to, you know, identify the little things in the defensive possession, like a little box out here, a little help here, a little rotate there. Those are the kinds of things that he does extremely well. And it's just interesting because they're different him and Caruso, but the way that they impact a lineup that has super talented players is the same. And, and that's why you're seeing him succeed. Um, again, guys, get your requests in. I'm going to one last point I want to make, and then I'm gonna start getting callers up here. Um, defense tonight was garbage. That goes without saying um, the Lakers defense wasn't good enough in uh, the first two games to immediately be able to walk into a matchup with John Morant and be able to play well. Like it just, it it was never going to work out that way, but the offense made significant strides tonight. You saw in those lineups where, when Deandre Jordan was off the floor, I'm really curious to look at the advanced metrics tomorrow morning after the NBA site gets all updated, just to look at what the Laker offensive rating was with Deandre Jordan off the floor, because my guess is it's probably around 130. 130 points per 100 possessions. That's how good and smooth and fluid everything looked when the floor was open for the Lakers tonight. And that was kind of a breath of fresh air compared to what we're all used to seeing 
with this, you know, LeBron and AD core. Um, I really liked there at the start of the fourth quarter how they just put LeBron with Dwight and three shooters. And basically just LeBron just stood at the top of the key, called for a ball screen, waited for Memphis to overhelp off somebody and hit shooters. And it was like Malik Monk at the top of the key here, Melo on the left wing there. Like, oh, this time you left me open. Okay, I'm going to pull up the three. Like it was just methodical dissecting offense from LeBron surrounded by shooting. And it put the game away because I think Memphis was up two at that point. And like, bam, just like that. Lakers are up nine. It was a huge, a huge stretch of just classic, you know, open floor LeBron, you know, the, 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 the maestro at the top of the key type of offense. And that kind of stride is something you can build on as a team. And if the defense can catch up, which there were stretches tonight, especially at the end of the first quarter where the Lakers defended really well, if the defense can catch up and continue to progress the way that the offense does, that's how we know that they can potentially go up to Portland here in a week or two weeks, I think, and get a big win on the road. Because the Lakers are going to come into some easy games now. The San Antonio one's a little tough. They're going to go and play <clears throat> Houston twice. They're going to play Oklahoma City twice. They're going to get into some easy games here they can win. They just need to get these things ironed out in time for when things get tougher because they go up to Portland and then they come back and they play Miami and they play Charlotte. Then they have to go on that East Coast road trip to play Milwaukee and Boston, it's going to get harder. So it's important for them to get things going now. All right, guys, I'm going to start taking callers. Feel free to bring, uh, come up and say whatever you guys want. Do you want an event? Do you have a question? Be my guest. Hang on. Let's get our first guy up here. Bon, can you hear me? Mr. Bond, are you there? All right, we got to send Bond back down. Hang on. Kingsley, what's up, man? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, man. What's going on? I'm good. How are you? What do you got to say? Man, I'm doing good, man. Um... Well, first, I'm glad we finally got a win. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It felt good. Uh, John Morant, I, I, I said his name wrong. John Morant is special. Like, he has that fast twitch movements. Like, it's on some, like, Derrick Rose, young Russell Westbrook type movement. So, like, the way he was getting to the rim, torching Bazemore kind of had me worried for you know, moving forward when we need Baysmore to get those stops. But overall, I'm glad that, um, you know, uh, Westbrook getting a little bit more comfortable, you know. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I like that we're finally playing Reeves more. And it seems like Malik Monk is getting his footing. So I think I definitely like the way we're going. Um, I just think that it's the defense. And – like, once our defense comes around, I feel like that'll put us back. That'll put us back at the top of the NBA, not just the way. And um, and last uh, last thing to say is, I was listening to the um, the commentator, and he brought up something that I've been thinking about, 
is is watching the Lakers as a fan of Anthony Davis is so stressful, bro. <laughs> like, I mean, every ten minutes, bro, it's like he hits the floor for no reason, and like, bro, it's so scary watching him play, bro, because like. I know that if we don't have AD, all of this means nothing. And I'm the biggest LeBron fan, but we need AD to get back to being AD. But it's, man, it's like, like the first 10 minutes, he's going down at least four or five times. But overall, you know what I'm saying? I'm feeling good about what we, you know, where we're at in the state of the Lakers right now. Yeah, man, I agree. I, I, I'm generally an optimist um, about this team. I've been a little discouraged early on. Um, which goes, that's kind of natural. It's just part of being a fan, right? Like we were as fans, we're bad at handling the bad and we always are really quick to, 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 you know, cling to the good things that happen. And that's just kind of the way it goes. The Anthony Davis part is interesting to me because you're right. Like if Anthony Davis goes down, this team can't do anything, but there's a specific reason why, like it has to do with team construction. Like if you look at Phoenix and the way they play, you know, they have all this talent down the roster, right? So if Chris Paul misses a game, they can play. If Devin Booker misses a game, they can play because they didn't have, they, they don't have a top five player on their team that they had to trade all of their assets for. That's not the way their team is constructed. They got a discounted star that they could acquire in a trade for cheap in Chris Paul. And then they have a couple of organic you know, up and coming stars like Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton, who's not really a star yet, but that could be trending in that direction. And then all the, all of their Brandon Ingrams and Kyle Kuzma's and Lonzo Balls are still on the roster. That's your Mikhail Bridges. That's your Cam Johnson. That's all of, all of the talent that's on that roster is part of the way that they're constructed. The Lakers have all their talent tied up in LeBron and AD. That's, that's the reality of it. They're always going to be tied to LeBron and AD and whatever you can get for cheap. Now, the, the advantage of that is when they're healthy and they're playing well, you, you, you just have the best players on the floor every game, <laughs> right? And, and that's, it. that's a huge advantage. But when one of them goes down, you're inherently going to be in some trouble. And, and that, that's just kind of the, the way it goes. It's no different than what happened to Brooklyn in the playoffs last year because they're in a similar predicament. Yeah, there are some big names on that roster, just like with the Lakers. However, they're all guys that have kind of passed their prime. So they're not going to be able to pull the weight of losing a James Harden or of losing a Kyrie Irving. Um, so that's part of, that's just part of the journey with Anthony Davis and LeBron. Like when, uh, you know, once again, somebody folded up into LeBron's leg and, and damn near messed up his ankle on that, on that play at the beginning of the game, which kind of reminded me, you know, uh, of the, the play where he hurt his ankle. And honestly, I don't think he was hurt on that play. I think it was his bad ankle. And when he felt somebody roll up on him, I think he just had like a little bit of a panic attack and was like, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, but then we took a deep breath and was like, okay, it appears to be fine. Um, you had mentioned John Morant. Like he's, he's to me, he's better at this phase than Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook and will be better uh, as he, you know, comes into his prime because he's already so much better as a shooter. Than yeah. those guys were. And in addition to that, he's got so much more of that in between. And then he's a little bit shiftier. He's, he's got a little bit more start and stop to him. Russell Westbrook and Derek Rose were almost, especially when they were younger, were one speed guys. You know what I mean? Like they just, they just were shot out of a cannon and no one could do anything about it. Jaws got some shiftiness. There was a play there in the first half where he got by Russell Westbrook on a screen 
he's been discouraged because he had been turned away at the rim by that big Laker lineup, you know, the big Laker lineup that we all hate. And all he did was just kind of stop and like pump fake and Russ just came falling down on top of him and sent him to the free throw line. That's like savvy stuff that he's like just more advanced at this phase of his career. It's not a coincidence that the the Grizzlies were two and zero, and I think they're very much going to be in the mix of things in the playoffs. Yeah, man, definitely, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you letting me come on, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we'll see you on Tuesday night. For sure, bro. Get your requests in, guys. I'm going to take uh, callers for another 20 minutes or so. Come up and talk about anything. You want to vent about the game? You want to ask a question? Anything you guys want. Bon, can you hear me? What's up, man? Yes, hello. Hey. Hello. Yeah, hey. Um, I just saw um, a play um, in which LeBron and Russ went on a pick and roll. Then Russ was on a four and three. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I'm hearing okay. you. Um, then Ross, because it was LeBron and Ross who went on the pick and roll. We know the problem of LeBron and AD on a pick and roll. They'll just switch it, right? Mm-hmm. The defense will just switch it. So here, LeBron, Ross being the, the role man, went on, uh, um, I think it was a four and three because LeBron, um, pulled in the two players um, on him mm-hmm. and it left AD on the dunker spot I think that was a kind of a formula for them to use all those three players you can actually do it multiple times particularly if there's a big man out there and AD is just on a dunker spot yeah I 100% agree the play you called out is one that I thought was the most interesting play of the game because on the previous possession uh, LeBron was isolating at the top of the key and uh, Russell Westbrook went over to the to the strong side corner and they just switched Steven Adams on to Russ because they know that Russ isn't going to shoot. And they gave you this big defender that you could kind of roam around with. You can't, you know, pl- letting Russ play off the ball in crunch time is kind of like playing right into the defense's hands because that's going to allow them to play five on four on you off uh, 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 with whatever action you're trying to run. So what's interesting is coming into the season, I talked about three things that I wanted Russ to do in crunch time to counter teams, leaving him open. And those three things were crash the offensive glass, which he had a huge rebound on the mellow. He actually got stripped by Steven Adams right after. Yeah. Um, But he had a huge rebound where he crashed in after mellows little turnaround fadeaway. That's an example of having an impact on the game, even though you don't, uh, even though your defender is not guarding you. Another example is I, I'd like to see him when he does catch the ball and teams are ignoring him, just barreling into the paint, trying to just cause the next drive and kick action. And hopefully the defense kind of collapses. But the third one, the most obvious one, the one that'll probably see, we'll see the most is using him as a screener. And yeah. what you brought up, which is super interesting is the like sizes, right? Cause if LeBron and yes. AD, they're just going to switch that action. But with Russell Westbrook, it's usually going to be someone like a John Morant or someone small, and it's a lot harder to switch that action. And so what ends up happening is you're going to trap probably because you'd rather have Russ make the decision than have uh, LeBron make the decision, right? So yes. Russ sets the screen. Russ does a short roll. LeBron hits him. This is the play right after the Steven Adams play I was talking about too. And Russ just barrels into the paint, 
uh, big man steps up, drops it off to Anthony Davis, dunk. And then the very next possession, they actually did the same thing. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron reversed the screen and caught him before they could really get into their, um, you know, hedge and recover scheme or whatever, and just barreled down the right side. Then both defenders just sprinted back to LeBron. He threw a pocket pass to Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook shoveled that little pass to Anthony Davis, who was cutting down the lane. And Memphis actually broke that play up. Um, and forced yeah. us into a turnover, but it was another example of like really good offense in crunch time that keeps Russ involved so that the team can't ignore him. And that's yeah, what you well, have to do. You have to yeah. do that. Yeah, you have to do that. And I think those three fit on that play because you can play your Russ. Like um, Draymond, I mean, Draymond is not a shooter mm-hmm. like Russ, but he can play me. So I think that was fit on the offensive side. But another thing that I saw is that I think Melo fits on the starting line instead of DJ, right? Because he he fits there. Four defenders, then Melo. He can guard. I think Melo can guard the bigs. He can't guard the guards. Mm -hmm. So I think he fits there too. And as for Austin Reeves, I think Caruso is a better defender and a, a better point of attack defender and a better athlete. But I think Reeves has an offensive skill set that um, that Caruso doesn't have. He can shoot trees at a high clip with confidence and he knows how to see the floor on the pass. I mean, that one, that pass to Dwight it's not easy to do, particularly on that setting. They're playing too fast, and for a player to see that that the floor that quick, you can't teach that to to any. I think THD, I Reeves is what we want THD to be on offense. <laughs> that's that's a good right? point. Because right, because THD is has this. Uh, how do you call this? This tunnel vision that he wants to attack the basket, like Ross. That to the mm-hmm. point that it's becoming reckless. But as for Reeves, he has this in IQ to see the floor first, then make the play. He doesn't make reckless decisions. So I think he fits that scheme too. Instead of THT, put in Reeves there so that if you scramble situation, he can still make plays. Yeah, I, I thought you broke that down perfectly. Reeves is the definition of a guy who's never going to force anything. And that's exactly what you want yeah. alongside really good players. Because this is something that Baysmore struggles with a little bit, right? Because like yeah. Baysmore <laughs> yeah. ba- has more talent in all of these areas than a guy like Austin Reeves. But he just can't help himself sometimes, right? It's it's no yeah. different than the, it's no different than on the defensive end that play that he had where he fouled uh, John Morant. Like he knows he can't foul there. He knows he's not supposed to, but he just can't help himself. Like wh- when he's yeah. when things are going fast and it's chaotic, he just he just acts without thinking. And and it, and the same thing translates to offense. He'll try to do too much on a closeout. He'll try to do too much on a drive. He over penetrates those kinds of things. Uh, Austin Reeves is is the definition of a player that just takes every read <clears throat> one read at a time there was a play his first nba basket is the perfect example of this so his first nba basket was in fourth quarter against the suns he's in the right or in the left corner 
and uh, I think LeBron ends up kicking it to him. He yeah. catches it, he catches it, and JaVale McGee is or not JaVale McGee, excuse me, I can't remember who it was. Yeah, it someone was JaVale. JaVale McGee, he was in the lane, but someone yeah. closed someone closed out on him. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Cam Johnson. So guard, yeah. Uh, yeah, or campaign, somebody like that. So he so he's not open on the shot, but he pump fakes. And when he pump fakes, the defender kind of closes out to his right shoulder. And on the play, he takes a dribble to the baseline, but instead of being weak, he actually extends his off arm and like chicken wings and like pushes the defender yeah. off, which, which again, yeah. you want to do. That means you're playing into the toughness and the physicality of an NBA game in the fourth quarter. That's what you're supposed to do. So he awards the guy off. Then as he's dribbling on the baseline with his left hand, that same defender reaches around and tries to poke the ball out. Austin sees it coming and does like a push dribble with his left hand into the, into the lane gathers and shoots that fade away over the top of JaVale McGee and, and nothing but the bottom. And on that play, I was just like, this is an unbelievably advanced closeout attack that, that this kid just did for his first NBA basket, which was yeah, just, yeah. it was just incredible. And, and to your, to your point, it's that controlled approach to the role player position yeah. that you're begging for from some of these other players on the team. Yeah, I think it was just a smart, smart for him to um, to do those things. I mean, read the floor and not just push, <laughs> push yourself to barrel into defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, as for the defense, I think it will it will come. That will come eventually because I mean, Ariza is a good defender still. And THD is a much bigger guard. So I think they, they still have uh, room for that defensive end. But I think a Monk should really take over Rondo's position too. Yeah, I'm a big believer a, in more as Monk a play, minutes. As a secondary mm-hmm. playmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, no, I, I 100% agree. Hey, Bon, thank you so much for hopping on. Okay. And uh, come okay. back on Tuesday if you feel like it. Okay, thank you. All right, guys, get your requests in. I'm going to take a few more here. Let's go Dave. Dave, can you hear me, man? Yeah, man, I can. I'm here. What's up, man? So I love what you're talking about with the starters. I kind of feel, and and don't, don't hear me wrong here, I kind of feel like DeAndre Jordan is taking the flack for all the starters but to me, you, you just broke up uh, a little bit on uh, Kent Bazemore. And to me, we have so many guys on this team that just should not be on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they're bad players. Like, Kent Bazemore is not a bad player. But I feel like with him and DeAndre Jordan and with Russell Westbrook at the same time, that's just a really crappy combination. Like you just said that you're a big believer in um, more monk minutes. It seems like he just fits with with most of the other players. Obviously, LeBron and AD are going to fit with whoever. But it seems like, man, having Russell Westbrook and Kent Bazemore in at the same time, it just doesn't feel like a good fit. And obviously, DeAndre Jordan, nobody really wants him to play any time. But even there at the end, right, DeAndre Jordan's not in the game, but it's still really clunky. And mm-hmm. to me, that kind of falls on Russell Westbrook and Kent Bazemore not necessarily being that good of a fit. We The whole fourth quarter, 
we were having great, great lineups, right? And Russ was kind of on the bench, which is unfortunate for Russ. And I know <laughs> he's not going to be the odd man out, right? Like, unless it really comes down to it at the end of the season. But it just seems like some of these other guys, like like a Reeves or a, a Monk or someone like that, it seems like they're they're better fits with some of these guys. Same with like like uh, you know Rondo and and Russell Westbrook. Again, a, a really clunky fit. They just shouldn't play together. They can play. You know, you put Rondo out there with AD and three shooters, and that's a great lineup. You know, mm-hmm. so to me, it's about combinations, and that's really what's making it ugly is that some people just do not fit together. For the record, I a thousand percent agree with you. There, there's, there's a concoction that happens in five on five basketball that all has to work. And now what's interesting is you, you, you can see where Frank is coming from with Russ and Bayes, right? Cause Russ, you have to play. He makes $40 right. million. Dollars. Right. Bayes, the reason why he starts, it, it, I really don't think it's any more complicated than this. Each game, each team you play, there is this, you know, alpha on the other team that somebody has to guard. And it's clear that on the night in, night out basis, the three stars don't want that responsibility right sure. off the jump. They will do it when they have to, but like DeJounte Murray on Tuesday, Baysmore is going to guard him. He's going to guard him to start the game. And so what ends up happening is inevitably they're going to start Bazemore because he's now the team's, you know, de facto primary defensive uh, uh, isolation scorer type of defender. Now, what's tricky is you're right. DeAndre Jordan does get the flack for the, the whole group not performing. There's a lot of truth to that. That's the, it, to be clear, like, they, like the lineup was minus 15 with DeAndre Jordan tonight. That's not all on DeAndre. There were, there, there right. are, there is, there's some sloppy basketball happening there. However, the flip side of that is like, you can kind of draw a clear line between comfort level and quality of basketball. Like it, I thought it was really interesting that when Russ started playing with no center there in this, I think it was in the second quarter, where he started getting going, got all the way to the rim for layup, got a couple of easy jump shots, got to the, got to the rim, started kicking out the shooters. That comfort level breeds good basketball on both ends of the floor. And what ends up happening with the DeAndre Jordan lineup, even though it's not just DeAndre Jordan's fault, the way he clunks up the paint causes all three of the stars to be indecisive about what they should do, which inevitably leads to them taking jump shots, which when they're going in, like they did against Golden State, LeBron and AD have this swagger to them and they're going to be awesome anyway. And yeah, that lineup's going to do fine. But when they don't go in, like they didn't tonight, all hell breaks loose in terms yeah. of just the, the clumsiness and the sloppiness of the basketball. And so that, that's the tricky part. Like you, you almost have to have Bays in, in there because he's going to want the, the tough job. You have to have well, Russ think, in there, but DJ's the problem. I think with Bays though, too, it's not like he's that good of a defender. You know, like when it was Caruso or someone like legit, it was like, okay, he's the he's a great defender. Um, and it, it just feels like like he he's probably the best option we have, but that's like a huge weakness for us. Like it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, well, when he's in there for his defense, it feels like well, yeah, he's probably the best defender that we have on ball, but he's still not very good. You know, like, 
And again, I that's agree why with you on that. Just, I, it I feels agree. like he's the whole activity without a production kind of deal. Like he's, well, he's I, doing a lot, but he's not really bothering. And, and again, who's Frank supposed to go to? Like, because yeah, exactly. I don't think Avery Bradley is, I mean, as much as people are like, oh yeah, we're so excited. Avery Bradley's back. I'm like, okay, maybe in like real spot minutes, but not, not like on a regular basis. He's your go-to guy to shut down like John Morant. Like again, John. Ryan I thought Avery was pretty bad tonight again, and he was pretty bad against Phoenix. He can't. He checked into the game, and his first possession went like way under an off-ball action and lost John Moran. He literally lost John Moran on the first possession that he got in the game, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like he did, he was really good there to try to ignite a run against um, Golden State and try to stop Jordan Poole, but he was pretty bad in his last two games. Yeah, agreed. And, it, and again, it, I, you, Frank kind of gets crap about it too, but it's like, who's he supposed to go to? Like, exactly. Because again, Malik Monk isn't going to be the guy, which he's in there great for his offense. And I think that's why all of us are looking at Austin Reeves going, well, at least he, at least he like holds his own and he's giving 110%, you know, like the rest mm-hmm. of the guys. It just feels like we're bleeding points. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's a tough predicament that they're in just in general. But the thing is, is like, you know, when when John Morant went on his crazy run, the Lakers uh, immediately coming out of the timeout started sending, you know, multiple bodies at him. Right. And then and then he immediately started kicking to shooters and the next three possessions after that ended in threes. But what was funny is the rotations were so bad that they were like wide, wide open threes. And so the, the truth of the truth of the matter is, is like. It's I never look at individual matchups necessarily as the crippling point of the defense, because truth be told, if I've got Malik Monk on an island with John Morant and I leave him on an island, then I'm I'm playing bad defense for even right. if even if he forces John Morant into a jump shot and he happens to miss like when you're playing. How do teams guard LeBron Russ and Anthony Davis? Everything's multiple bodies. There's no such thing as like, let's let. Anthony Davis go one-on-one against our six, six small forward. No, it's like there's dudes in his face. There's, there's a guy sitting under the rim. There's a guy at the top of the key. Who's like digging down and swiping down at the ball. Like every LeBron drive in post up ends in multiple bodies. Like you throw multiple bodies at good offensive players. So the way you have to defend is to send multiple bodies and then rotate and recover and do everything on the back end you need to do to take shots away. So I'd like from that standpoint, I wasn't so concerned necessarily, you know, at the point of attack with jaw, it was the fact that when they started sending multiple bodies at him, they just didn't do a good job kind of like making it a little bit tougher on the role players. Right. And to, that's to where guys like Mello just get really exposed because he will not make very many efforts on the defensive end at all. If exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, you're, you're hundred percent right. Yep. Um, hey Dave, I really appreciate Thanks. you coming on hey, man. if you feel like you come on back on Tuesday. Yep. All right. Let's see. Julio. All right, guys, I'm going to do one more, and then we'll take a bunch more on Tuesday. Julio, can you hear me? You're muted, so you might have to unmute. Hey, man, I'm here. Hey, how's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. So what do you got to say? You got events about something? Do you have any questions? Oh. Listen, man, I think it was a decent game overall. The most important thing throughout the game for me was stopping these huge runs by by Memphis mm-hmm. because the last two games against the Warriors and Suns, 
we get on these huge, huge runs, and from that point on, the game was mostly lost. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the transition defense was way better this game. I don't know if that was only by the presence of Ja alone, but definitely an improvement. Plus, rotations were better overall. Besides Rihanna Jordan, who everybody is taking shots at him. <laughs> <in this. laughs> I think Frank has put more consistent and quality lineups throughout the game and inserting ribs throughout the game. I think he got like three or four shifts, and those were really good. And I think this, this would be his role going forward. And just like Caruso, he will eventually win more minutes just based on, on confidence by Frank and the starts, just by not making defensive or offensive mistakes. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Reeves is going to fall out of the rotation here. It's unfortunate, but it's it's the reality of the situation. Guys like Kendrick Nunn coming back, you know, guys like THT coming back, those are the guys that are going to get those minutes, unfortunately, um, which is just kind of part of the politics of the way the NBA works, right? Like you, you've got Kendrick Nunn on the mid-level exception. The ownership group, when you count – tax the luxury tax is going to be paying almost you know what 15 million dollars or something to have Kendrick Nunn on the roster so there's a certain amount of an expectation that those guys are going to play so Reeves is going to fall out of the rotation but fortunately Rob was smart and signed him I'm pretty sure to a multi-year contract a two-year contract I believe before the season when they converted him from a two-way to uh, uh to a guaranteed contract which at the time, everyone was confused. And remember, the intel was just like uh, they just said that he went to LeBron's preseason camp and he was awesome. Um, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was as simple as the camp went well. And then LeBron called Rob and was like, hey, you got to sign this dude. You, you know, like it could have been one of those kinds of things. But the unfortunate reality is he's going to fall out of the rotation as soon as all these other guys get healthy. So everybody who wants to see more Austin Reeves, enjoy it while you can, because it's going to last about a week or two. And then Kendrick Nunn's going to come back and take all of his minutes. That's just kind of the way this is is going to go down. Um, but yeah, I thought you, I thought you brought up an interesting point about the transition defense. Transition defense was horrible against Phoenix, and there's a couple of different things about transition defense that you have to factor in. Part of it is uh, effort and focus, but a big part of it is team speed. And when you when you play guys like Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, sometimes even on their best day when they're playing hard if you catch them in bad position and you sprint down the floor, you're just going to beat them down the floor because they're slow. And uh, we talked about this a lot with Vinay on, on the Friday night pod, but your overall team speed in the lineup in the modern NBA has to be at a certain level to keep up with the way these teams are, you know, with, with pushing the ball to the floor, especially with guys like John Morant. And uh, in general, I thought tonight they did a better job. Uh, much better than they did against Phoenix of just getting back off of missed shots and trying to take away the super, super easy stuff. Did you have anything else, Julio? No, let's keep it rolling so everyone can talk. All righty. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. All right, guys, I have one left. So let's get one last one up in here. Mando, can you hear me? Sorry for mispronouncing your name. <laughs> Hello?
Mando. All right, we're going to drop Mando down. I'm not hearing him. I do have one left, though. Spencer. Spencer, what's up, man? What's up, dude? Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, just kind of a comment I thought was interesting. Watching a ton of games. I, 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 like, I won't miss a Lakers game, right? Probably like everyone else in here. And watching a ton <laughs> of games last season. <laughs> watching a ton of games last season. I remember being like shocked because sometimes you like get lost in the game and the flow and you won't really look at the score a ton. I don't know about you guys. And there are times where like we're missing open three after open three and I'd look at the score and we'd be up 10 and I'd be like, what's going on? It's because last year and kind of the year before we relied so heavily on our defense, just chasing dudes, guys on a string, everyone bought into the scheme, just like great. Right. And then this year, it was just like a total flip side. I, we're hitting every open three, and I look, and we're only up by, you know, like a few points. <laughs> and it was like last year, if we had a game where we shot 50% from three, we win by 30, right? Mm-hmm. Like easy. And so it just like was pretty hopeful, just like with these guys. If they can just get that Vogel defensive system down, and I know like personnel-wise we may not be – able to reach last year or previous year's levels but man if they can just get it down and locked in i think i think it's just a hopeful nugget honestly so i'm really glad you brought that up because that was something that i had uh, been thinking in the middle of the fourth quarter and had not yet mentioned in the show but there was a moment when Mello hit a three in the middle of the fourth quarter or early fourth quarter and i think it put us up like 105 102 or something but the game was relatively close And I immediately thought to myself, I'm like, this is kind of what everyone was talking about over the summer. Like the fact that we might have to outscore some people, right? Like it was this up and down basketball game and we were just better at scoring uh, in the fourth quarter. There was like, it was like John Morant trying to drive and kick the shooters versus LeBron trying to drive and kick the shooters and LeBron's just way better. So we just won, we won based on the quality of shots we got in that fourth quarter and people knocking it down. And it's super interesting because you're absolutely right. Like it's a totally different dilemma, but it's the same feeling where you like, you keep looking down at the scoreboard and we're like, we're in, we're in the lead, but we're just not like pulling away, so to speak. Now, as, as far as the defense goes, I'm a little bit more optimistic than most people because like with your core five, you look at the defensive ceiling, you look at, you know, on, on a handful of possessions, how likely are they to get stops, you know, and you, you're so focused on the ceiling. Now with this team, I still believe in the defensive ceiling because I have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor. Now, Frank is that lineup is probably going to look like Russ Baysmore, Ariza, LeBron AD later in the season. And that lineup is going to be every bit as high of a ceiling defensively as what we've seen in previous years. Now the bench lineups throughout the game, they're never going to be able to reach the ceiling that the 2020 Lakers, the 2021 Lakers had. They're never going to be able to reach that. However, to your point over the course of the season, you can, you know, the, the way you win with defense in like game six of the NBA finals is different than the way you win with defense in the regular season. In the regular season, it's all about habits and focus and dudes not falling asleep and, Dude's just doing their jobs, right? And then in game yeah. six of the finals, it's like how big and athletic and strong and and freaky physical can you be, right? Like the, the, so the the way that I look at it with those bench lineups, they don't need to be the most freaky physical 
crazy athletic lineups in the entire world. They just need to have enough guys that give a shit about doing their job and give a shit about doing, uh, uh, paying attention to those little details. If they can do that over the course of the season, like you said, just kind of buy into what Frank is trying to get them to do over the course of the season, the bench lineups will defend well enough to where they can reach the defensive ceiling again at the end of the game with their core lineups. And this defense can be really good. I, I still believe that over the course of the season, this team will defend pretty well. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be really optimistic when we have a game where we're shutting teams down, shutting their water off. You know, they, we'd have these back to back to back. We'd almost go on defensive runs the past couple of years. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And man, to, to string one of those together, because that's, that's what makes a championship team, right? There's like teams that are built completely off of defense that are great teams and make deep playoff runs. But if you don't have offense, like they'll struggle later in the postseason, right? Or you have mm-hmm. these all-time offenses that struggle on defense. You, need, you really need both. And I know there's been some like defensive-only teams that have you know, won the finals. Maybe I think of the Pistons. Mm-hmm. way back in the 2000s but uh way way back now but um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i think i think if this team can like find a good balance there because it's like a, a mental thing too if you're focused so much on shooting and scoring you you fall asleep you know no, on the you're, other end. you're absolutely right no you're absolutely right and they do have to reach a certain baseline of defense without a doubt i mean there's yeah. plenty of of metrics about that or you know just kind of his, historical you know, a pre, you know, kind of little landmarks that we can look at that show that you have to be at a certain level on both ends of the floor. And the, the bottom line is, is like they, the, the way that this group would defend well would take time, right? Like it was, there's no way that you would be able to get Mello and Monk and, and Ellington and some of these guys into the <laughs> system and they would just immediately pick it up. It's going to take time. You're, yeah, you're yeah. overturning bad habits. Like Mello at this phase in his career pick and roll with Steph Curry in the fourth quarter. He's not a hundred percent focused on the fact that he has to be up at the screen. And so he gets beat, but maybe after 60 games with Frank with film sessions and accountability from his peers, he'll be sitting there looking at this from the perspective of like, I can't make this mistake or I won't play, you know, I can't make this mistake or it'll cause the entire system to break down. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I, I do think over time that kind of thing will come around and thank God they have a really easy schedule here over the next couple of weeks. Cause they'll, yeah. they'll be able to win without playing super well, but Spencer, thank you so much for coming on, man. Come back of on course. Tuesday if you feel like it. Yep. See you, man. All right, everybody, we're going to call it a night. Roz will be back uh, to make this not a solo show on Tuesday. Um, as always, I sincerely appreciate all of you guys and your support. I'm going to take the recording of this show and post it onto our podcast feed immediately after the show ends. It will also air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. But again, I just want you guys to know how much I appreciate you guys for supporting Raj and I as we do this. Three shows down and what's that? 79 to go. I'm looking forward to every one of them. Have a good night, guys.